Hey, and welcome to the Girl Live Unleashed podcast. I'm your host, LaToya Addy, and thanks for tuning in. Each week, I'll have conversations that give you real life tools to get clear, feel aligned, and be confident so that you can break through anything that holds you back from living life to your fullest potential. So today I am going to be talking with Erica Smith, who is originally from Teston, California, and moved to Atlanta in the 90s to attend Clark Atlanta University to study early childhood education. She settled in the Smyrna area and has been a 20 plus year resident. She has worked over a decade in corporate America, um, but once becoming a mom of two, became an entrepreneur, owning her own local boutique, and then gradually entered back into education um, to work with um, children with learning differences. She is a GEARS, which stands for Early Georgia Early Education Alliance for Ready Students Led ambassador. She's also part of the International Human Trafficking Institute as a human and sex trafficking trainer and ambassador. She is also the liaison for the Junior League of Atlanta, promising all Atlanta children thrive. Um, And she recently launched a nonprofit for children with learning differences. She is also an ambassador for the National Council for Learning Disabilities as well. So without further ado, let's chat with Erica. Okay, so we have Erica here. And so Erica, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a mom of two boys. I'm a wife. I have a background in early childhood education. Um, I've been focusing lately um, primarily on early childhood education as well as learning differences, learning disabilities. I have two children that have learning differences. And so that's a whole nother ball game, things that I had not ever studied before, things I was not familiar before. So I've just really become engaged in that process. I'm a member of the, or an ambassador actually for the National Council of Learning Differences. And so I'm constantly advocating um, for parents and advising parents on who they need to see. I'm no, by no means the expert, but I try to point them in the right direction. Um, I also do work on zero through five, getting children into quality rated preschools as well as pre-K um, with GEARS organization. And I work with um, PACT, which is Promise All Atlanta Children Thrive. I am a liaison between them and the Junior League of Atlanta. And so my overall goal is education. And the sooner you know, and the earlier we can educate children, um, the better we'll be as a society. Yes, and that is so, so, so important. And that is why Erica is definitely, when I think of education, she is like one of the top people that bubble into my brain. I'm the man. Um, Yes. Um, And so to kick us off, um, explain to us really like what, early literacy is and what is like the importance for the foundation to overall learning? Okay, so with early literacy, I think a lot of times the uh, misconception is that the kids are young, right? And they don't need to be in school, um, especially now during the pandemic, which I understand those reservations. Well, what we know now and what the data shows us now is that your child's brain is growing and it will never grow as fast as it does Um, between zero and five. So just like you watch your children and they're growing out of clothes and then they get older and they don't go through clothes as fast, that's the same way that their brain is growing and their brain is just a sponge and it's taking all of that in. And so between the ages of three and five, you go from 900 words to 2,500 words. You start speaking um, complete sentences, more complex sentences. And why it's important to be in a classroom environment or now again with the pandemic, I understand the reservations. So there's a lot of different programs, virtual programs you can put your children in, is that the children are doing activities, right? You're guiding the children. You are constantly talking to them and that is helping them to expand their vocabulary. 
children that don't take part in these type of programs automatically end up behind. If you don't go to school, you know, and we're in Georgia here, I don't know if this is nationally syndicated, but you don't have to go to school until you're six. So if you don't go to school until you're six, then you're already completely behind. If you start right. taking milestone tests and things like that by the third grade, how can you catch up to a child who's been in school, you know, since they were itty bitty and they're learning words and they're doing crafts and all different type of things, not to mention the social interaction, right, that the children need. And that's right. all part of that de brain development that they get in those early years. And so it's just imperative. I can't express how important it is that people put their children in school or some type of program, even if you're at home, that you're explicitly teaching them, that you're not, you know, saying, oh, well, they're 18 months and they don't know, they don't know that. You know, it's almost like um, people are saying now, you know, virtual school, especially for little kids, well, they don't want to be bothered with it. Well, their first virtual school was actually Mr. Rogers, right? right. So, so you learned a lot from Mr. Rogers. You learned not only colors, not only shapes, but you learned from Mr. Rogers on how to be a good neighbor. And right. these type of things, these social skills are things that children get in preschool. Now, again, with the pandemic, this unprecedented pandemic, I understand the reservations. And so you have to make that concerted effort. Learning Spaces with the United Way of Atlanta is doing a ton of virtual stuff. And they even have pop-ups at the library where you can drive through and get books. Um, I know with the Junior League of Atlanta, we went out and we gave puzzles and foam things that you can build and books to pre-K yeah. students that they can then use at home. And then I know through the pre-K programs, especially the state funded pre-K programs that are not in session and face-to-face, -face, they are in session, of course, they're virtual. They are still providing you with lesson plans. So I can imagine, my children are a little older now, thank God, but I can imagine <laughs> how hard it is to be home with a three or four year old trying to redirect them to activities right. every day and how frustrating that can be. But it's imperative that you understand the importance of it because it's going to have a long lasting effect, you know, and a lot of times what you hear people say is, well, it's okay because they're only in, in pre-K, they're only four, they're only three, you know, um, I'm more concerned when they get older, but we need to put that in on the front end because right. what we see is that when you go into pre-K programs, when you go into three-year-old programs, the graduation rate is higher, right? Therefore, you get your high school diploma then a lot go on to college. Even if you don't go on to college, you go into the workforce. And if you're in the workforce, you're less likely to have to um, depend on government subsidies, et cetera. Um, and you're definitely more likely to go to prison, which is what we see now when we talk about that school to prison pipeline. And what's directly related to that is the literacy and the third grade right. test scores. But again, if you don't start school till you're six, <laughs> then you're not gonna have the third grade test scores that we're looking for. Right, and I think a lot of people miss that component. Oh yeah. And basically it is the foundation for learning. It is Absolutely. literally the building steps. Like when you think of like stacking blocks, Absolutely. like when you play Jenga, if you pull out all of the things and it like it starts teetering. So you can think of education or reading literacy like that. So if you don't have those components, then, you know, you teeter um, and then you can. Um, and we'll definitely, I want to discuss that a little bit more. You mentioned the uh, prison, the school to prison pipeline. So I definitely want to touch on that. Um, but before we jump into that, let's talk about some of the common myths that you kind of encountered surrounding um, early literacy. Okay, so one thing, and this is probably my pet peeve of all is that, yes, we absolutely are supposed to be reading to our children, right? And so everybody should read to their, their children. But people tend to think that if we're just giving books to children and we're giving books to family, that the literacy is gonna be there. And it's not, right? Because they need to have phonological awareness. They need to have letter recognition. And so if I don't have phonological awareness and I don't have letter recognition, then all I'm doing is memorizing the book. So as important as that piece is, some kids get it, right? Just by listening to the book and then they're able to just soar. But a lot of children still need to be taught. And so it's more than giving a book to 
a family in need. It's more than just going in. And I mean, I think they're awesome. I think it's awesome that we do Dr. Seuss Day, but we can't just expect that we go into the school, we read to the children and now miraculously everything, everybody's gonna be reading and everybody's gonna be on grade level and because we've done these things and we provided them with hardback books. There's so many foundation pieces there. And I think that's right. a huge myth. People will constantly say, and having a child with a learning difference, well, did you read to him? Yes, I read to him <laughs> all the time. And you know what he did? He memorized the books. <laughs> we read all the time. It didn't mean that he learned to read, right? And even being in a preschool environment. Um, Generalizing those skills. Exactly. Across. So, and I think that that, I think it wasn't until I um, went through a, um, a course about like how you learn to read. It's not something that is easy to do. Um, and that it was just kind of like baffling, like to really understand, like, and break down those pieces, like decoding all of the rules and things like that. So basically the way that we were taught was like memorize. Um, so it's just, it's amazing. That skill that we take for granted um, is, is definitely not, easily acquired by, um, you know, people just in general. Yeah, and the science, so the science of reading. And so what we see a lot of times um, with children with learning differences, as well as children in different environments is that they have to be taught explicitly, right? And so if English is not my first language, or if I live in a home where they're not necessarily speaking traditional English, right? A lot of slang is being used, things like that. I need to be taught the same way that a child with a learning difference is taught because it's the way that I'm processing it in my brain. And so a huge thing uh, here is that we go back to the science of reading, that we go back to teaching phonics. You're a little younger than me. Like I, I'm probably 10 years your senior. So we did do phonics and a lot of repetition and you don't see that as much now. And so this is where we're seeing, you know, 46% of the children in Georgia don't meet grade level. They don't read at grade level. And again, people say, well, do their parents read? Well, do they read to them? Well, a lot of times it goes back to that methodology on how they're being taught. And then again, if they don't go to school until the first grade, they're already four years behind. And so now you're looking at these third grade scores and you're yes. saying, right? Where all these kids are not reading at grade level. Well, if we started these early um, interventions, well, not even an intervention, excuse me, that's not even the appropriate word. We wouldn't need intervention, right? So if we started with early literacy, and if your child is in a quality rated program, then they're more likely to read um, at grade level by third grade. Yes. Okay. And so you, we mentioned kind of like some of the stuff that goes into it and just like the foundational piece, but what would you say are some red flags that people should be aware of? Um, so I think, and it's interesting when you look at the brain, because this is things I've learned um, just through my own children. If your child is not rhyming, you need to talk to your pediatrician about that, right? If your child is not um, putting together puzzles, uh, is reluctant to do that. You need to talk to your pediatrician about that. Uh, the CDC has milestones. You can go to the CDC site and they have the milestones. So if you're at the pediatrician's office and you're at the checkup, you know, they ask some questions, but if you have concerns, you need to bring those concerns up and say, hey, you know, my child is not, they're not babbling. My yeah. child is not like to put together puzzles because there's so much with crossing over the midline and reading, right? that I didn't know about, but all of those things are needed for reading skills. You've gotta be able to read from left to right. But you, in order to do that, a puzzle, something like a puzzle, that visual and spatial awareness is also necessary. And so if you just notice those things, you take it up with your pediatrician. And if your pediatrician doesn't seem, I'm really big on being an advocate for your own child. If your pediatrician is like, oh, that's fine, the wait and see. No more with the wait and see method. No more waiting to kids are in the first grade to see if they can read. Because I believe if by first grade you're not reading, 75% of those children never catch up if they don't have proper intervention. And then that's again, when we talk about them not graduating, we talk about the graduation rate, 
and we talk about them going to prison and doing other things because you imagine that frustration that they have right right um not being able to ever catch up because they don't have those early skills but a lot of times you're told to wait and see so i feel like if your pediatrician is not being um aggressive with it then seek out something on your own if you're able to um afford to get a diagnosis not a diagnosis an evaluation you do that and um if not you go to the state and ask what type of programs do we have here that my child um these are the issues that i'm seeing in my child and i'd like to get them assessed and just really push it because as mothers we know something is not right especially if you've had children right there's something that's just not right with this this child's not babbling um or my children always talked a lot but i had one child that loved puzzles and then i had another one but i was always i was always taught all children are different they're all different so i was like oh he doesn't like puzzles that's just not his thing you know it's not his thing and i never even brought it up to the pediatrician because i thought it wasn't his thing and then when we got he we started seeing other other learning delays they asked oh we're looking at this sheet and they're asking well does he do puzzles and i'm like no he didn't like them (laughs) but now i know those are things and 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 my children were diagnosed um earlier than most but those are red flags that had i known when you were three we could have started occupational therapy yeah we could have started looking at crossing over the midline because these are all things that you need to have in order to read. But I'm just thinking, well, that's not his thing because this is what society has told us, right? This is what we're taught is all children are different and they'll get it when they're ready. They'll get it when they're ready. And And that is one of the things that I'm really big on. Early intervention, starting as early as possible and advocating for your child. Um, like that is one of the main reasons why we like commute for our doctor, but it's because when I literally raised concerns, she was on it. Like, okay, this is the steps you need to take. These are the organizations that you need to contact. And it was like that we had what we needed, no questions asked and got the ball rolling. Um, and he wasn't even, I think at that point, he was only 11, 12 months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So really at that stage, they really are trying to tell you to, to wait. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's really good before, you know, before a year, but yeah, they, they tell you to wait. And so I like now the CDC's uh, milestone chart because it is giving you all the information and you can check that and then you can ask your doctor. Right. And I definitely will share um, the link for the CEC um, milestones. Um, When we uh, finish, I'll have like a resource um, little kit that I can share with everyone. Um, And so, you know, we talked about kind of like advocating for your child um, when you have concerns. So what... um, are some activities that people can do to really help their children develop these literacy abilities? Okay, so several things. <laughs> I mean, depending on the age, of course, because one of the things is that in the first few years of the child's life, they'll have 1 million new um, neurological connections, right, are formed every second. So these connections are going to help them build a foundation for everything, for learning, for behavior, for health. So you want to get started as soon as possible. So one of the things that you can do, of course, we all know about the sorting blocks and the building blocks, but those are also go tie into puzzles. So make sure that we're doing the sorting blocks. Playing peekaboo, that's teaching them the object permanence. Then as they get older, one thing is that tactile piece that you're using sand to trace, right? Because these are things that we see um, helping children a lot of people say i don't see what's it because whatever it is with that finger like we're talking about pen to paper now how people use computer it gets into that frontal frontal lobe and it stays there yes you know and so it's the same concept you're i see a lot of blogs oh they're saying if you write down your notes instead of type your notes they stay in your brain longer and i'm like yes just like with kids for whatever reason if they are tracing in that sand and they are tracing in that sand, it is going into that frontal lobe and they were remembering those letters and they were remembering those phonics. And so I think yes. that things like that are huge. 
Um, also, I think it's too because you are bringing in more of the senses. So you're seeing it, you're feeling it, and you're like motor, uh, what is it? Muscle memory. Yes. So yes. it's tying in all of those senses. And I think the more you integrate the senses, then it commits more to your brain. Yeah. And so that's why you see a lot of times children that have attended um, like Montessori programs do really well. Um, I know with myself, I see things now that I've seen in my children. I'm like, oh, I had that same issue, but I went to Montessori school. So in the beginning part of my life, not that I didn't have issues later on in life, but I learned to read and all those things. Plus my parents were educators and my grandparents, but because we did use sand, right? And we did use like a gel, a shaving cream. And so once finding out that my son was dyslexic, one of the things they would do at, tell me to do an OT is put shaving cream all over your back deck and let him just draw in it and repeat the letter with um, three times. And so I was like, oh, okay. Something I had never thought to do because I'm thinking we're reading because I'm reading with him <laughs> and he's, he's reading. He knows all of these things. <laughs> but once I started studying the science of the brain um, and they talk about this in a lot of the books, how it is your sensories and it goes to that front part of your brain and that's what commits it to memory. I was like, this is so interesting. And I just never knew that before. And had somebody have told me this in the beginning, we would have been doing this from day one, right? Just like you're playing right. with Play-Doh. <laughs> you're playing with Play-Doh, then we would have been drawing in shaving cream. And I think that you, like growing up as a kid, you're like, why are we doing this stuff? Does it really make sense? Not realizing like when they start removing certain things from like the school setting, why we're seeing so many deficits. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I feel like that is definitely a major component um, to that because a lot of the school are the the skills that you acquire from like recess and all of that stuff is, you know, now minimized. Right. Um, or cut due to budget. Right. And one of the things that, and that's another thing, like when you talk about milestones, does your child skip? Right. And so you're thinking, well, why do you care if my child skips? That's extremely important. Your child skipping, your child rhyming, those are extremely important things. And so you'll see a little bit more now of the dysgraphia too, because children are sliding on tablets, sliding on phones. They're not strengthening those hand muscles. They need to be playing in sand and water tables. They need to be playing with Play-Doh. Those are all skills that you need in, in order to start writing and writing correctly. And if you're noticing that you're chubbing with my son, it was, he would say, my hand hurts, but I had never heard of this. So I'm like, your hand doesn't hurt. <laughs> but the muscles weren't completely formed. And so his hand did hurt. And again, once we started going to occupational therapy, um, they said, you should start using clay because it's a little harder than the okay. Play-Doh. Right. And so these, again, are things I never knew. I knew we do Play-Doh. So we make Play-Doh. We play with Play-Doh. I don't know really why we're playing with Play-Doh. You know, the, yeah, fine motor skills. Okay. But it's strengthening the hand muscles. And so if you use clay, it's going to strengthen the hand muscles even more. More. So it's yeah. really important that you're even doing that, that your child is not, again, my children are older, so we didn't come from the tablet era. So they never um use tablets as young children but they were asking me these questions and I'm going well, what does this have to do with anything like no they didn't use but it's because children were seeing that more and more now that children are not strengthening those hand muscles so then when it comes time to actually hold a pencil and write with that pencil they're not able to hold that pencil and they do experience um a little bit of pain right so yeah it's it's very interesting it all it all goes together Yes. Okay. So we kind of talked about the, some of the, you mentioned kind of some stats. Yeah. And so I wanted to kind of put some stats out there just so that our parents can be aware of the impact of reading. 85% um, of juvenile offenders have problems reading. So can you touch more now on how this plays into the school to prison pipeline? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so because it's such a large percent that have trouble reading, and as we said, a lot of them that don't get that intervention by the first grade, 75, actually, it's actually 75% of them. 
um, will struggle throughout school, they become frustrated, right? And so with that frustration level, if I can't read and I can't keep up with what's going on in class, because basically we need reading for everything, everything in our life. Um, I eventually drop out of school. And when I drop out of school, I go to a life of crime, right? Because what else am I gonna do? I can't read, so I can't even get a basic job. And a lot of times, or more than not, what we see is them tying those third grade reading scores to the prisons. That's how they decide on how many prison beds they're gonna have. Mm. And the third grade reading scores, again, are not gonna be high if they haven't had early literacy, if they have not attended preschool. If I started school at six and now you're giving me a standardized test two years later, there's no way I'm gonna be on grade level. And the thing you hear a lot of times about schools, oh, well, that school's good to the second grade. How is the school good into the second grade? I don't, I don't understand a school being good to the second grade. And it's not that the school is good to the second grade. It's that after second grade, they start taking standardized tests and you're looking at the standardized scores, right? And it has nothing right. to do with that child's intelligence. It has to do what these children have learned before. And if these, child have, these children have met their benchmarks before, and a lot of them simply have not because they don't have those early literacy skills. And that's, you know, the overall problem. And then when you put on top of that, the learning differences, I think the average dropout rate is like 6.1%. And with learning differences, it's around 18.1%. Mm. And I know when I had my nonprofit launch, I had Amir Baraka come and speak. And he has a really powerful story. If anybody can look him up, look him up. Awesome, awesome, awesome. But he said that one of the things he noticed was that when they were there, everybody in prison, I guess you stand in some type of line, you all have to take a literacy test and nobody could read. So there's all these brothers standing around there looking like him and none of them could read. And so you look at that correlation and it's like, if we start implementing these programs and children, um, the, well, the program, a lot of programs are honestly already there. If we make sure that these programs are filled with the children, if we continue to be advocates in the community and tell people the importance of early literacy, it'll change, it'll change dramatically. I know that now they're trying to have something where kids will stay um, in high school till they're 17. Like now you can drop out at 16, they'll stay till 17. And my question was, why? Why would we want a child to stay in school till 17 that's failing? You know, and we need to be focused on the front end of it. So when that child is 17, they are excelling in school, whatever that is. And then they can go on to trade school or they can go on to a job or they can go on to college, whatever. But we're gonna raise the, to 17 and we're just gonna sit there. I mean, I read time and time and time again, which wouldn't talk about their frustration, how it's, you know, you have to do pass the paper to the back, the child reads the paper in the back and then you grade, peer grading, right? And then the peers are like, you can't spell. And the peers are like, you know, how, look how you wrote this, or you, you know, only got one right. That's not going to make me feel good. And then you're going right. to have the shame, the guilt, yeah. all of that kind of stuff, shooting down the confidence. Yeah. So instead of being proactive, you want to be reactive. It just, it's, it's a setup for failure. Um, it is. And I think, and so one of the things that I always encourage everybody to do is watch the documentary, No Small Matter. And that is, even once I started advocating and saw that, I started even seeing more. You know, from that child coming out of the womb trying to emulate them. When the, 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 the dad is going, and then the baby does it back. <laughs> and so this is knowledge that we didn't have before, but now we have this knowledge. Right. And so that's really, really important. Just how much they're grasping and picking up on from the time that they're born. And that's where we need to put the emphasis on the early years, not on the back end because it's it's at that point it's futile you know the child's frustrated and they don't want to go to school anymore so i'm like i don't think us passing something for kids to stay in school till they're 17 is really an option but i know that people think well we've got to do something right so what do we do so we can't have these kids just running around in the streets at 16 because they're legally able to drop out but if we start on the front end they won't do that right they'll end up, well, they're more likely, of course, you'll still have a case or two, but they're more likely to go on and get high school diplomas. The graduation rate would be tremendously higher 
you wouldn't have so many frustrated kids. So yes. I, yeah, it's interesting. And so you mentioned like the high school rate. So what other stats do you find um, that parents should be aware of as it relates to reading or education? So I know like I was saying how only 46% of children read at grade level, but then I see some places where it says 88% of them graduate. So, so even with that, like I'm not, I'm not impressed with that. If you can't read and you're getting pushed through the system because then you get out and then you're still not able to perform. So I think that that's, um, that's extremely important uh, for us to kind of take note of and say, are these children really getting what they need um, overall from, from education? You know, and I'm always particularly concerned with children of color, our children of color getting what they need. And when we look at those stats, oh gosh, I think that the, the difference is like 54% of black and brown children, you know, uh, compared to, oh, I just was looking at it and a lot, I lost it. I lost it. But National Council for Learning Differences just had the, the stats, you know, Asians and whites compared to black and brown children, which the, everybody across the board is honestly struggling here in America. There's a literacy crisis, but black and brown children are suffering more. I think it was, I believe it's 54% of them that are suffering more. Um, it's just, it's a literacy crisis. And we need to look at how we are educating our children from the front end, not the back end. So it's, it's really important that we're getting children in these programs as early as possible and that they're quality rated programs because that child that's in a quality rated program is just gonna soar as opposed to a child that, and I mean, even myself, I remember thinking I'm gonna put my son in school three days a week um, and I'm gonna have someone help me the other days while I'm at work because in my mind, oh, he's not ready to go to school. You know, and so I look at that now and I'm like, where did that even come from? Right. No, like where, 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 why was I even thinking that? But that was my thought process. I think that, you know, we're, we think a lot of times we don't want to put our children in the school situation because they're just babies and we're, we're not being good moms if we're not with our kids, yes. and, you know, and that's just simply not the reality of it. And of course you can do, and we see it a lot now um, with parents having to, kind of change their whole lives around with the pandemic and homeschool. So, so of course you can teach your child at home, but you have to make sure that you're really teaching them at home. Yes, it definitely takes a whole lot of intentionality right. um, to, to teach your kids at home. Um, and you, you mentioned a um, quality rated um, preschool environment. Can you go a little bit more into like what goes into that? So it was gonna be, and I don't know what's going on now. The pandemic has literally changed the world, right? <laughs> and so it was going to be that any center that receives state aid would have to have a quality rated program by 2021. Okay. So I'm sure a lot of that has changed. I know for a fact because everyone can't have, you know, all their CDAs and all of those type of things when a lot of things were shut down. But basically what quality rated is, is it's an orange sticker that you'll see on a window that you're looking at and they'll have different levels of quality rated, but it is that they are following state procedures as it comes to educating your child, right? So it's everything from how clean the center is to what they're actually presenting to your child or teaching your child. Are they using the milestones that CDC uses to make sure that your child is learning their letters are doing shapes, are doing colors, right? And so all of everybody in the center would have some type of training on okay. some level, right? So they would all have the um, preschool, the early literacy training. They can still, you still might have a school that's not quality rated, um, but the overall goal is that you have these quality rated programs and these children are on these high quality programs. And so when they come out, they have those pre-reading skills. Yes, and so the scale goes from basically no stars to... And you might not have even applied for it. So in the past, you didn't have, I mean, in the past to get state aid, you didn't have to have had be quality rated. That just was kind of a bonus, right? But part of the goal of GEARS um, was that all children were going to be in pre-K in the state of Georgia by 2020. Of course, that shifted for numerous reasons, right? Like we actually had a call this morning. One thing that we shifted away from is we were just promoting before 
pre-K and quality rated, well, then we shifted to helping give out boxes of food because that's just where we are now in life. So right. that the need, you know, yeah. The need. And so that need kind of shifted. Well, with that also is that all the schools that were receiving state aid would have to be quality rated. That meant everybody in there was going to have to go through the training. But now again, <laughs> with the pandemic, that's kind of changed some of that. But you can still find another school that's not quality rated. Um, and you, it just wouldn't receive state aid. Right now, that's not the issue. They're still getting state aid. But in the future, whatever happens after this pandemic, <laughs> that'll right. shift a little bit. But yeah, you don't have to be quality rated to have a preschool. You can have a preschool. But it's what is that preschool doing? Is that preschool just allowing those children to kind of sit in the swing all day? Or are they actually doing lesson plans? You know, are they actually doing um, the literacy skills that are needed? Is it clean? like it should be clean. And so that's when you have right from the start in those programs, um, those organizations, you know, that come in and check, check those schools out. So we always really, really, what we push is always quality rated. And you want your child in the quality rating situation. That's yes, I think that is definitely a good point. And so what are some recommendations that you have like book recommendations for people who are wanting to get more information on this topic? So I don't necessarily have book recommendations. It's kind of crazy. But what I do think is that you go to the Office of Early Learning's website. Okay. They have all that information right from the start. Website has all that information. If you have, if you're interested in, um, you know, I always tell people to go talk to you about parent to parent, right? If you see that your child has some learning differences, go to the parent to parent website. If you are looking for pre-K spots, then you can go to the Office of Early Learning or you can go to the um, Right From the Start website and just look, put in your zip code and then see what's in your zip. Because what we don't have is a universal preschool program here, but we do have a state, a lottery state funded one. And what a lot of counties don't have, well, it's not even county cities don't have what APS has. I do work with APS. APS schools um, offer a lot of the pre-K programs on site that include bus transportation, right. lunch and breakfast, right? So you can send all your children together. So we do a lot of advocacy around that, but then there's still quality rated programs that are there, but you have to go to the individual center and say, or oh, do you have spots? And so, if you go to the Bright from the Start um, website, you can go in there and you can plug in your zip. And then once you plug in your zip, it'll show you the daycare centers in your area. And it shows how many stars they have and whether they're quality rated or not. So that's, that's huge. Um, to me, it's a huge asset. Yeah. That, you know, that parents can go to and that's where they can get their information. But even if they go to the GEARS website, there's a lot of information there. There's a lot of statistics there. I kind of have brain fog on all my stats, but there's a lot of statistics there. Um, if they're interested that they can use, right? You're just talking about how many more words your child speaks. Um, right. How many more, uh, just about the five stages, right? So there's literacy task, there's five stages where you have social emotional, speech and language, fine motor skills, um, cognitive, all of those things are there in more in more depth. So you can make sure that we're focusing on that whole child. So there's so right. many components that go into literacy outside of just reading. When we think of literacy, a lot of times we're thinking, okay, we're, we're reading the book. Um, another thing, like I was talking about the CDC milestone chart, why I like that is I learned something new. Uh, you know, your children tell all these stories and you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, oh, the prince, okay, yeah, that's what he did. He rode the car, all righty. If your child is not doing that for four or five, then you need to talk to your pediatrician about that. That's very, very important. And that's how they then get into storytelling and writing. So that's a literacy skill. And right. so you need to continue to even ask questions with that, right? And that's some, that's another reason why it's good when they're in a, preschool environment because if they're at home even if mama wants to pay attention you might be making dinner or whatever else you're paying a bill you're like, you're like oh really yeah okay but if you're in a classroom environment you're going to say and then what happened right and then what happened oh really and the car was red 
Was it a big car or a small car? Right. So we're enhancing that vocabulary. Yes. And we're being intentional in our teaching. And so those are literacy skills. And um, another place is United Way has learning spaces. And learning spaces has now also gone virtual. But learning spaces took part, um, took place pre-pandemic at libraries as well as um, apartment complexes. And so it was just kind of like a mini preschool that they would have in the mornings and parents could take their children and learn that, learn different things and do different things with their children. But I, for me, a big takeaway is what the parents can take away from that. The parents can have information and say, okay, we're gonna play the scarf peekaboo game at home. Okay, here's a song that we have at home. If we don't have the Fisher-Price toy, toys, we can use pots and pans to bang on them. And so those type of things. Um, so yeah, I can't think of a book off the top of my head, but I'm a big researcher and the Rollins School out of um, Atlanta Speech School, they have a whole early literacy um, tab that talks about the different things and the importance of early literacy that you can go to and find out that and just different games. But I'm big with learning spaces um, and it, it, it is something that is free offered through the United Way. And even if you go on now, you can pull up videos on learning spaces and just continue to do those with your children. And those, I mean, granted books are good, but a lot, you rattled off a ton of resources. And I think that, you know, they will be able to find a wealth of information. And I'm sure those sites will also direct them to a lot more. And you can also subscribe to their newsletters and things like that. Um, I know that I think I'm subscribed to a couple of them that you mentioned. Um, so I get some of the information that they send out. And even if you're not able to use it at that point in time, you know, you can always go back to it or definitely like, I like having it in my arsenal just to share with other people. Right. Um, and so I think that um, from even from a developmental marker standpoint, right? You wanna make sure that your children are meeting those developmental markers. Um, and a lot of these sites have that information and it's bulleted because again, we are on the go. And so you can look really fast and say, okay, voice can sub subscribe. And if you subscribe, they'll send you the messages and go from there. I mean, we were running, um, beginning the pandemic, I guess all this year, I don't believe it's almost been a year, <laughs> but around when we thought we'd get back to normal fairly soon, <laughs> we were posting memes daily, just checking memes. And on there, there was the bit link to go to the CDC site. And that way you can say, hey, yeah, okay, my child's not building blocks. Right. Let me see if they should be. And you just click on the link and you go from there. And then there's a plethora of resources, right, that you have. And it's, and another good thing about those is it's always fluid. So we're always, it's always changing. And so if you go to the link and they've discovered something else that's helpful that's going to be there or if there's a new program that you can become engaged in or a new nowadays youtube channel <laughs> that you can do you can use um, it's going to be there as well as just things in the community again the pandemic has slowed a lot of um different things to participate in face-to-face -face up however like i mentioned earlier there's libraries that are giving out books there's a lot of different organizations that are doing things and if you're on that list, you'll find out about that and can do a drive-through and you're able to get that, um, those resources for your children. I mean, for us, we don't, we give out books, um, sanitizer. <laughs> uh, we've given out like backpacks full of Play-Doh and crayons and just a plethora of things at different um, events through the pandemic and you just pop your trunk. So it's safe. you pop your trunk, you get the information. And then we also give you lots of paperwork um, that you can read about later. You know, that yeah. have not only the websites, but you can read about those milestones later on your own time. So yeah, I just highly recommend going to those and signing up, even if you're getting inundated with the emails. Yes. And so Erica, what is a good way for people to reach out to you and um, your organization? So for me as an individual, my organization is not, my, my nonprofit is not focused around early um, childhood education. My nonprofit is focused around learning differences. And so it is, I define me transcending learning differences. 
So my website is the www. I define me transcending learning differences. And our Instagram is I underscore define underscore me. So you can reach out to me that way. And I mean, you can reach out to me even if you have questions about um, early childhood education and I can get you that information. But for my particular nonprofit, it's I define me transcending learning differences. And that's just really dealing with invisible learning differences and looking at the way that we view them. Um, I try to continue to put up different information for parents to be advocates for parents, to be advocates you know, for your child, um, et cetera. I had a launch where I have a video there where the gentleman is speaking on his own experience and he, he's um, been up for an Emmy, but basically went to prison at 14 and tells the story of when he knew, um, I believe third grade, when they started doing the spelling test on Fridays, um, that he was gonna be a drug dealer because what else? And every Friday I bring home a spelling test and my mom is mad because I you know, don't know what words and then what else am I going to do with my life? And then after being in prison and meeting people and doing different things, he was able to turn his life around. But that's one. And there's thousands that, you know, are yes. sitting there. And so um, I have videos, you know, I have his video on there. And I try to keep people just informed. I um, do work. I'm a member of IDA, International Dyslexia Association. And um, then I also do work with decoding dyslexia and they have a lot of just different seminars you can go to. And of course, now that everything's virtual, you don't even have to go out. So what yeah. I try to tell everybody is I became that maniac that once I found out my child had a learning difference, I went to every single workshop I could go to, to try to understand. <laughs> right? So that's kind of what took me back to early childhood education. So I was doing volunteerism and service with the Junior League of Atlanta, saw an opportunity to go to a few courses on um, early childhood education that was being offered through Gears, went and was like, oh my God, we did this game called, um, I always call it the wrong thing, but the brain builder, I think is not what it's called, but that's what I'm going to call it. Um, and everyone has a straw and you pull a card. And when you pull a card, some people start, you know, it, it's how you uh, are living or grow up. And some people are in this environment. You might pull in and you say, okay, your mom and dad lives in the house. Your dad has a great job. And so then you add a straw, you know, and then it'll say, oh, grandma got sick and we had to, you know, take it, get rid of a straw. And then at the end, just how, how that brain, right? You're building that, this child's brain and some children have all this support system. And as you're putting yes. the straws and things together, some fall down. And so it all ties into early literacy. And so when we look at learning differences, it's the same situation. If we can catch these things early on, cause I'm a maniac and I'm still constantly learning things and seeing things and understanding. And also for me, it's to just stop the stigma. I mean, even I, I don't really have a huge stigma around learning differences, I never really have, but I was offended when I was asked questions like, well, did your child read? Well, did they do puzzles? But now I know this is, they're trying to ascertain, right? Did my child, were they in a language enriched environment? Because if they weren't in a language enriched environment, then it could possibly not be a learning difference, a learning disability. It could be, right. we just need to go back to the basics. So you're asking me questions and I'm like, what? We did jamboree and music together. We did everything. We read every day. But now I understand that because if that child is in an environment with a language lag, then they need to be taught in the same way that my child needs to be taught. And they need that same method, but they're just trying to figure out, well, hey, what, are, what were the early years like? And that's what they ask. All they ask about is those early years and that home in that early years. And I don't know how many times I filled out forms about early years going back. We are like, my kid is over the age almost of 10. And they're still asking me, like, when you were pregnant with him, all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't remember everything. Yeah. And that's why early years are so important. Because right. if it was a situation where, well, no, my child didn't go to school through till they were six, then they would say, okay, well, that's why the vocabulary is not where the vocabulary should be. Okay, well, that's why they're still doing letter reversal or what have you. But when you say, okay, no, my child was in this environment and this is what we did, then we're going to look at it from a different aspect. And so one of the things, once I attended the uh, workshop, the GEARS workshops, they had opportunities to be ambassadors. And so I just 
hit the ground running. I had worked in corporate for several years, over a decade before having my second child. Um, and then it's like, I'm getting back to my roots of early childhood education, but these are things I didn't even learn in undergrad. Granted, it was the 90s, um, but now I'm learning new things. And so I just kind of hit the ground running. And then as the program, I was in the first cohort, as the program began to get larger and larger, they had opportunities to um, become leads. And so I applied for that and became the lead. And we just are constantly in the community. And that, of course, has slowed up with the pandemic. But I'm every time I'm learning something, I'm posting about it and I'm sharing about it because I'm like, whatever way we can reach people to let them know the importance of early childhood education, we need to reach them. Whatever way yeah. we can reach these people in the community. And I think that overall in Atlanta, we are down by like 13.1% with pre-K enrollment um, across the board, which is actually extremely high. Um, doesn't sound high, but when you look at different areas, um, some are way lower than that. And so it's really, and of course it's pandemic related, but yeah it's really important that parents understand the importance because today we talked about why do we think that is? And I said, well, it's several things. Some people are afraid of um, COVID, but some are like, well, my kids are at home online, my five and my seven-year-old, I'm not going to take that baby to school because it's not that important anyway. So they can stay here with their brother and sister. And so just kind of changing that mentality, or, yeah, you know, and then when we would be in the field, and we'd have, it just seems like years ago, but you know, you'd be at a festival or you'd be at, I don't know, different events at West End, a back to school bash or something like that. And you'd ask the parents, you know, you're giving out backpacks, but you ask that baby on the hip, is that baby in school? You get misinformation. Well, they told me he couldn't go because he wasn't at Head Start. And it's like, who told you that? That's such wrong information. <laughs> Let me get you the right information <laughs> for your child because there are state-run programs where you don't have to pay. And I think that's the other misconception. Well, I can't afford to pay because childcare, quite frankly, is astronomical. Yes. A lot of, you know, there's a lot of different programs. So it's getting the knowledge and getting the programs to you um, and to the people in the community so they can understand the importance. Because another, another thing is if your child is in that um, everyday school environment, there might be some things that the teacher picks up on that you thought were the norm. And then that teacher could say to you, he's, he's, um, parallel playing okay well he's at this point he should be playing with other children right and so yes. those type of things they'll be able to bring to your attention and that's um, extremely important again the earlier we do this the earlier we can intervene then the better we'll all be as a society will be better you know um again because we're talking about dropout rates then a lot of times then you need to use state assistance <laughs> We're talking about prison and we pay so much more for a prisoner than we do to educate a child, right? And yes. so I think that that I was just looking at that for something else. And I think the amount ranges probably about 30,000 to about 60,000 in some areas per prisoner. Right. And that is absurd. Yeah. And I just, I mean, in earlier today, because I knew I had this, um, podcast, I looked at it and I think it's like for every dollar we spend on um, preschool, it's like $18 if you don't send that child to preschool, mm. you know, is how much, and, I, and that, that could be a wrong stat, but it, it's, it's tremendously more, like, you know, it's tremendously more. I did, I do think it was $18, but if you just send that child to preschool, that's like a dollar a day. And then they're not, you know, they're not relying on you for anything else. Because we, we've seen the success, you know, again, with that, with the documentary, um, No Small Matters, they actually track three kids that went to pre-K together all the way um, through their careers and just the importance of that. You know, and I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've seen that one. I'll have to go back and. Um... I think the producer is Alfred Woodard. Um, it's something I keep saying I'm going to host because you could do like a viewing party, you know, um, through all this Zoom stuff. I'm a people person. I kept thinking the world would open up and I'd like host, oh, I'm gonna host something. <laughs> but now I guess I'm going to do the virtual piece of it. But I think that- I the, know. The part that I think is really important and I was telling them today on a call is that getting everyone to understand the importance of early childhood. Because it's too, from a legislative perspective, from a parent perspective, from a company perspective, 
Why is it important to be able for your child, for your employee to be able to go pick up their child from preschool? Right. Why yeah. is that? Why is that important? Because at the end of the day, that child is going to become self-sufficient, you know? And so if a parent needs to work around those hours, you need to work with them. And this is why it's important to business people and taxes and stuff. And I don't think that they see that correlation. And from a legislative perspective, okay, we're trying to do all this band-aid and all this patching, but we need to start in the front. If we can get more money on the front end, then you yes. won't see this money on the back end. And so this movie um, documentary, it's gosh, it might be two hours. It's great because it shows every single piece. Okay. Families that, we were lucky here in Metro Atlanta. I, right before, let's say probably this time last year, we had started speaking, uh, like we did something at UGA and we had started speaking with other counties about um, the ambassador program. And a lot of people were saying, especially down in South of Georgia, how they just don't even have enough uh, preschool daycare centers. So like to say, we're trying to fill spots. Well, they don't even have enough centers, enough resources. Yeah, so I think that's, that's a good point. So a lot of people, when you're in a metro area, especially metro Atlanta, yeah. you forget that go 45 minutes right. out in any direction and you're like in rural Georgia. Right, <laughs> right. And so that's one of the things that we spoke with them about when you're talking about, you know, universal childcare. And that's something I had never thought of, but we had people raising their hands saying, oh, well, that's it. We're like, we're trying to fill these spots. They're like, well, that's a good problem to have <laughs> because- we simply just don't have enough centers. And so things like that. Yeah, and when you're in Metro Atlanta, you have an opportunity to just, we have so much opportunity here. And so it's just getting people to the opportunity. But right. when we talk about society as a whole, we wanna make sure that everybody's needs are being met. And then other states don't have state-funded uh, pre-K. So when we talk, you know, the United States as a whole, if they don't have state-funded pre-K, and if you're supposed to pay $400 a week, you make $400 a month, then of course he's staying with your mom. With all the, you know what I mean? With all the other grandkids. So nobody's getting individual attention, taught, you know, being taught explicitly. None of that is going on. And, and it's important that people understand that. And I don't think that they do. I, I, just, I just don't think, I, I just think it's a, it's, a, it's a lack of knowledge. And the more, the more we can inform people on the importance, the better we will be um, as a society. Yes, I think education is so important for just having, educating yourself. And then once you have the information, really empowering other people and sharing the information. So you mentioned that you do that all the time. And I, I see it um, on social media. And I try to do the same thing because it is. That is literally before I had a child who had special, or a child with special needs you know, that was kind of like the furthest thing from my mind. Yes. Um, and then, you know, you start, it impacts you and then you become entrenched in it. And then, you know, now I want to definitely help. And anytime someone asks me for help in that area, I'm more than willing to give them resources to get on, hop on the phone with them, you know, anything, because I know how important it is. Um, to be there for someone. Um, so number one, that they're not alone, but also so that they have the information that they need so that they can continue to learn. And then hopefully they'll reach back and teach someone else too. And I think what you just said is very important to be there and let them know that they're not alone. Um, I think you did, I think you did ask me about the myths and surrounding early childhood education, but just the myths around that as well as learning differences. And sometimes when I see people's, I have to like step away when I see people's responses on boards, you know, on the face, the different Facebook groups that I'm in, because people are giving them such bad information and such misinformation. Um, I cringe. And then I'm like, okay, you're too involved in this. But I'm thinking this is wrong information that you're getting, right? And then we're now pushing this to people. Even when yeah. people ask about preschools, what's a good preschool? Well, what are you saying is a good preschool? Does it mean it's a good preschool because you went to the preschool? Does it mean it's a pre good preschool because everybody in the block went to preschool? Or are you looking at, is it quality rated? Did all these teachers go to the same trainings? Right. Do all of them have the same safety? You know, all of those things. If you're looking at that, 
that's what you need to be. If you're looking for preschool, that's what you need to be concerned with. But people just go into these threads and they're like going on and on. And I'm thinking misinformation, 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 you know, that they're presenting. And when people also like to post about or they think their child has a learning difference or disability, and then people start recommending all these schools. And that's simply not how it works. You have to get an evaluation. It's a whole process, you know, and I felt like I said it 10,000 times. And then I was like, back away because you're getting too engaged in this. People are going to believe what they want to believe. Um, and it's, there's a stigma around it a lot of times, you know, feeling like your child just needs, and some children, they do. They just don't need to be, especially in this virtual environment, they just don't need to be, they're not children that can be in this really tight environment. And they do, we need to go back to recess and all those things. Right. Yeah. That, is, that, is, that is some children's stories. But some children's stories are, there is something there that needs to be assessed and then you need to proceed. It's not necessarily going to all of these different schools and none of the schools are working. You know, at some right. point you have to look at your child and say, hey, what's your deal? <laughs> Let me yeah, get you. I think too, definitely getting as much information um, as possible. So, cause I see those posts too about, oh, you know what, well, I heard about this school and it's kind of like, what, what, school, what school does your kid go to? And I'm like, you know, my kid goes to public school. And, you know, and it's just because I feel like we are getting the supports that we need there. Um, but that may not always be the case for everyone. But I think that when you go through the process, then you are able to decide what is best for your child and your family at that point. And if you go to workshops, it's like I posted the other day and I keep posting, IDA has a series of them now, right? Running through March. And I, um, I think I got two likes on this one um, where I'm like, and I'm posting to every mom's group I'm in, every you know group I'm in, I'm saying, hey, I see a lot of people asking about different schools and different programs. I strongly recommend you attending these sessions yes. because everyone's learning profile is not the same. So a lot of people want to say for their child, oh, your child's dyslexic. My friend has a child who knows everything about that and their child goes to X, Y, and Z. Well, no. Because most of the time, what I know, and I know from workshops and my child's learning profile now is that no child is just dyslexic. They also probably have dysgraphia or dyspraxia or ADHD or mixed expressive recessive language. And it's a plethora of things. So one size doesn't fit all, you know, that Perfect. learning profile. And so like what you said, your child goes to public school and you're getting the support you need. A lot of people don't get any support. And, and some of that's because they don't know how to advocate for themselves. And some of that's because the school can't support them. And some of that's because their child's learning profile is too in-depth. But then they can also stick their child in a private school that says we can meet your needs and they can't meet their your needs because they don't know either. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's and so when I see these posts, I cringe because I want for that parent to educate themselves. I want for them to go to all the IDA workshops. I want for them to go to what decoding dyslexia is offering. I want for them to participate, even in Office of Early Learning stuff, you know, the different seminars that they host. I want for you to go and see and hear different things. And then you can make that assessment and say, hey, my child might need an assessment or no, no, they don't need one at all. Or this is exactly who my child is. I mean, I had a younger child that was classic dyslexic. Everything's backwards right down to the shoes. So it's red flag, let's get cracking. And then I... <laughs> Started Googling, I had no idea about educational psychological behavior, started Googling and found out things. But from going through that process with him and going to workshops, I saw other things in my older child and other struggles, challenges he had had. And I said, well, he also needs an assessment. I would have never known that had I had not attended so many workshops. So they're very different children with very different learning profiles and very different needs. And yes. so it's never a one size fits all. And that's what I try to convey to the parents and when I'm constantly cringing um, when I read the comments because there'll be someone on there that just thinks they're the expert and I'm like, you're giving wrong information. They need to research it for themselves. That's why every time they ask something about autism or something, I'll tag you and say, parent to parent, because I don't know that. That's not my area of expertise. Because right. some people ask me and I say, hey, eventually I'm going to learn about that. I have my hands full right now and I'm getting this, this stuff done, but let me tell you someone that can assist you with that. Right, and I think that, that that's important. Um, with any concerns, you need to go to the person who has been through 
pretty much almost like exactly what you're going through or has expertise in exactly what you're um, experiencing at that time. So for us, how I started on, um, you know, was with autism. And then from autism, we went to ADHD. And then now we're mixing in dyslexia. So it's kind of like you, as your child kind of grows, you start seeing other things. And then that's kind of now like where my expertise is going. Like, and it's only because I'm having to get all the knowledge for myself, you know, reading on this, doing these, um, going to different workshops, um, utilizing the resources that I have at my workplace. Um, so all of that, that stuff. And then talking to other parents, um, such as Erica, who have been through the process um, and really just kind of honing in and getting that information and then taking it using my, uh, you know, my own filter, you know, what works for my child, what works for our family, and then putting stuff in place to make sure that we are, well, he is successful first and then that we as a family are successful in supporting that. Absolutely. And that's why I even said when you asked where they can go from early, I would say I'm, I'm an open book and anyone can talk to me um, and always feel free to email me. And if I don't know the answer, I point you in the right direction. Right. So even though my nonprofit is primarily for children with learning differences, I know a lot and I advocate for early childhood education um, and I will point you in the direction for that. And if there's a person that I know can assist you, I'll point you in that person's direction that they've gone through something that you're going through. Um, because I do feel like we're all in this together, right? This is it's society, we all wanna be successful and we all want for our neighbors to be successful. And that starts with early childhood education and then we go on from there. And so the more we know, the more we grow. Yes, and so thank you again, Erica, so much for taking the time to speak with us about um, the importance of early um, literacy and just kind of also coupled with um, learning disabilities as well. So certainly appreciate your time and I will get you guys the resources that she talked about. So don't worry about trying to write them down really quickly. I will have them typed up for you um, when I post this podcast. So again, thank you so much, Erica, and have a great night. Thank you, same to you, bye-bye. Welcome, bye-bye. If you found value in this episode, please share it and use the hashtag GirlLiveUnleashed. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review. And as always, remember to break through anything to get clear, feel aligned, and be confident in living life to your fullest potential.